You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, good morning. It is absolutely brilliant to be with you. I mean, to be honest, it's just great to be out of the house. We've been self-isolating in our household for about a week and a half because of a virus that some of you might have also had. Uh, And so it's good to be here. And it's fantastic to also uh, know that a whole bunch of our sites are joining together this morning as well. And so if you're watching one of our sites this morning, it's brilliant to have you with us. Today, I want to speak about a subject that will affect all of us uh, to some degree. And uh, it's something that, that on average, we will spend 94,000 hours of our lives doing. Can anyone guess what you're going to spend 94,000 hours doing? No, it's nothing at all to do with sex. In fact, what it is, is being at work. That's right. If you're going to spend 40 hours a week on average, 47 weeks a year for 50 years, that's 94,000 hours. And I want to look at this morning, what does God have to say? about those 94,000 hours. We're in a series at the moment called Doing Different that we're kind of jumping in and out of uh, every now and then. Uh, And it's really based around uh, uh, one verse in the book of Romans where Paul says, he says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we had a sense as we were preparing what we were going to speak on over the course of this year, that it was really, really important. In fact, there may never have been a time in our lives where it was more important than it is right now to refuse to be um, uh, living uh, and living under the pressures and the assumptions and the values of the world around us and to choose instead to be transformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And uh, that's why this series designed to be really practical, addressing practical things that are happening in our lives like social media or what do we, how, how do we live and behave differently with our money? Uh, how do we live and behave differently when it comes to the pursuit of happiness and comfort? And today we're looking at how do we live and behave and think differently from the world around us when it comes to our workplaces and our work. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 5. If you've got a Bible with you, either in digital or analog form, then it would be really useful for you to produce it because, well, we're going to look at it together. Uh, And uh, so just... By way of explanation, this is kind of like bring your kids to work day, right? So, so Jesus uh, is at work. It's a Saturday and he's already healed the centurion's son and maybe he's had a spot of lunch and we're about to join him in the second half of one of his days when he's at work. So John chapter 5, going to read from verse 1, says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place, place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you from carrying your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And then for the sake of time, we're going to skip to verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and will show him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to his Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who, who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what's good will rise to live, and those who've done what's evil will rise to be condemned. But my, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. That's God's word to us today. So the question that we're going to answer from this passage today is how should we think and believe and act differently in our workplaces from all the people who are around us? And, you know, we may dress the same, we may live in the same kind of houses, uh, drive the same kind of cars, our desks may look really, really similar, but we, we are servants of a totally different king and we're subjects of a totally different kingdom. Uh, and, and so what difference uh, could we make and, um, and what could be different about the way that we live in the workplace? The first thing is we carry a different perspective. We carry a different perspective. For a number of years, I worked for a software company just beside London Bridge. And uh, I, I mean, I blagged my way into the job, to be honest. I knew, I didn't even know how to switch on a computer or, or plug one in, but, but I gave the impression perhaps that I was more competent than I actually was. But I kind of took to it like a duck to water. And uh, I was working with this guy called John. John was a genius. I mean, 
His knowledge and his ability was, was extraordinary. He, he only ever spoke at maximum volume and every other word was a swear word, but I loved him. And uh, anyway, so, so uh, I remember one time we were, we'd gone to, to a customer site in Edinburgh where there were two huge rooms the size of football pitches full of people on the computer and uh, on the phone. It was a kind of a huge call centre thing and, and their entire computer system had gone down. And so me and John, we went into this computer-controlled, uh, sorry, climate-controlled server room. There were rows and rows of computers and uh, I just, I, I watched as John just kind of went from keyboard to keyboard to keyboard to keyboard, just, you know, typing things, a million uh, characters a minute, just all the time, just... And within just a very short time, he'd brought this entire computer system back up and running. And then when we came out back into the room where these two huge rooms full of uh, people on computers, they all stood and they all cheered and they all applauded. And I remember sitting in the bar that night with John, and I said, John, what a gift you have. Like, I've never seen anyone do anything like that. You, you must go home from days like that, just high as a kite. Like, you, you are a genius. And his answer surprised me. He just said this. He said, just paying the bills, Chuck. Just paying the bills. Let me ask you, is your work about just paying the bills? From my perspective, scripture would give an emphatic no. Your work has way more value and meaning than just paying the bills. If you stop to think about it, there's an astonishing truth, a theological truth, just there in verse 17. Jesus says to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am at work. So the theological truth that's wrapped up in that is that the triune God that we worship is a God at work. He's a God who works. He's a working God. And so in one sense, when we work, we bear his image. We are people who are working. And as we do that, we, we, we bear his image. We represent him. Right at the start of the book of Genesis, before anything went wrong, before the fall, before rebellion, before sin. In Genesis 1:27, it says, Adam and Eve were created in God's image. And then immediately, the very next verse, verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1, they're given work to do. It says this, God blessed them and, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. Now, that bit's not work, that's fun, right? Be fruitful, increase in number. But the work comes next. Subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I'll give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they'll be yours for food. Here's the work. They're essentially farmers. He says, I want you to, to sow crops and, and to, to plant things in the ground and they're going to grow and then you're going to harvest the crops. That's your work. You're to rule over the earth and subdue it. You're at work. You're to be a working people mirroring a working God. So the, in the original design for human flourishing, meaningful and a 
abundant life as God, our creator intended, we were made to be at work, to exercise agency and intention in the world, to be active and engaged and functioning in creation. And as we work, we display God's likeness. We're a people who, who have God's fingerprints all over us as we work. The only thing that really changes at the fall is that as the humankind rebels against God, uh, there are consequences of that sin and the consequences are that their work that they were doing before now becomes hard work. You see that Genesis 3.17, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food, the food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Do you see that the ground that they were working before is now covered in thistles and it's hard to dig and it's like, you know, they're sweating as they do it, but they're still doing the same work. What was a blessing before now at times is a battle. But the fact, the reality the, the created order of work is still true. So often we create this dualism in life where we say, well, I've got my work, which I'm really doing to pay for my life. You know, it's like I, I just do this thing, but actually my life exists outside of my work. And if we're Christians, we take that to a whole other level because we, we say, well, I've got my spiritual life, which is like, reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, uh, uh, being part of a local church, serving in a local church, attending a local church, and so on. Um, and I have my spiritual life, and then I have my work life, which, you know, never the twain shall meet. Like, wh why would either of these two things ever come together? And yet it seems to me, if we were to really grasp the reality that we were made for work, that almost certainly we'll be working in heaven, then perhaps we might start to experience God's presence, his power, his smile as we, as we work. I don't know whether you've ever had a moment in your life, in your work life, where suddenly it's felt like you're a round peg and a round hole. Like, you know, your skills, your expertise, your experience, uh, your, your ability to think or whatever it is, has, has all come together. It's collided together at a particular moment. And suddenly you're like, wow, I, I've, I've just really achieved something that I never thought was possible. Or, or um, m maybe you've brought all you could bring to the table and then some of your colleagues have brought what they could bring to the table and you've solved a really, really difficult problem and you've had this immense sense of job satisfaction, which, if you think about it, is really just a surge of gratitude and joy and, and peace. What if that surge of, of joy and peace actually has God's fingerprints on it. That actually you're stepping into something there. You're starting to, to step into who you were created to be and what you were created to do. We carry a different perspective from those around us. You know, maybe you're someone of influence in your workplace, either formally, like you're a, a boss or a line manager or whatever it is, or, or maybe you're just someone who has influence because you've been there for a long time or you've got some experience or whatever it is. Maybe you have the ability to make it possible for other people 
to experience their createdness, to experience love, joy, peace as they work. Doesn't that feel like that has a sense of createdness about it? We carry a different perspective. Secondly, we steward a different expectation. In one sense, it's one of the most surprising moments in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. Um, he makes his way to this natural spring. It, it's a spring that's surrounded by five colonnades. And in fact, uh, archaeology has discovered that, that exact pool with the five colonnades around it, which we shouldn't be surprised by because this is a historical document. But anyway, he goes there and, and it's really surprising because out of all the people who are lying under these colonnades who have various ailments and sicknesses and, and uh, disabilities. As far as we know, he only speaks to one person. And as far as we know, he only heals one of the people who's there, which is really, really surprising, isn't it? Um, the other surprising thing about this moment is that the religious leaders are there and you would expect them to behave like this. You'd expect them to say, Jesus, that's amazing. You've healed this one guy. He wasn't able to walk for 38 years. Hey, can we introduce you to all these other people? Because we deeply love these people and we would love it if you would just see what God wanted to do uh, in their lives and their bodies too. But they don't do that at all, do they? Instead, it says in verse 16 that they began to persecute him because he'd done it on the Sabbath. And so in verse 17, he starts to defend himself. And his line of defense is really two parts to it. So in verse 17, he says this, my father is always at work. You know, in other words, you religious leaders, you might be taking a day off from being compassionate and kind and loving and intervening in people's lives. But my father, he never stops doing that. He's always at work. He loves people. And so wherever I go, Jesus is saying, my, I, I just discover that my father's there and he's already at work. That's his first line of defense. Like, sorry, guys, I, I had to do this because my father was already there and he was already working. The second part of his defense is in verse 19. He says, I can only do what I see my father doing. The father loves the son and shows him all he's doing. And in a way, it seems to me that Jesus is showing us his way of working, his model for ministry. The religious, re religious leaders want him to shut up and take a day off, but he can't because everywhere he goes, his father's at work and his father's showing him what he's doing. And, and so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm just participating with what my father wants to do. I'm just stepping up to the plate. I'm just getting involved with what it is that God's already doing. If that's true, then Mark Green, who wrote this amazing book that I can really recommend, it's called Thank God It's Monday. And it's all about this kind of subject of, of God and work. Really, really great book. Um, he says this, he says, God is at work, at work. God is at work at your work. So true, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I, everywhere I go, my father's at work. And so I'm just like watching and I'm waiting to see what my father's going to do. And then I'm just stepping into the moment and, and the invitation that that moment presents. You might say, well, that sounds great, Chuck, but like, what does that actually mean? in my workplace, you know, I work in an airport or a hospital or a school or a factory. Like, what does that actually mean? Well, maybe it looks like offering to pray for someone when they tell you that they're unwell or that they've hurt their back or whatever. 
Maybe it looks like being compassionate uh, and, and offering to support someone in a practical way when they've been bereaved or whatever it is. There's a lady in our church and she was um, speaking to one of her colleagues at work and her colleague said, oh, I've, I've really badly damaged my knee and, and, and I guess she's on crutches and so on and, and she's got this operation coming up on her knee and so uh, this lady in our church, she said, hey, I'd love to just pray for your knee. And then it turns out that it wasn't only her knee that was a cause of pain. There were other things in her life as well that were a cause of pain. And so she prayed for the knee and she prayed for those things. And as she was praying, she had these prophetic words come to mind. And so she just shared, I'm a Christian and and I just think God might be saying this into your situation. And the the lady was hugely encouraged and, and blessed. Nothing in particular seemed to happen to the knee at the time. But later on, when she had the knee operation, the doctor said it was really amazing. We didn't need to do hardly anything of what we thought we were going to have to do because your cruciate ligament looks like it's healed itself. Well, amazing. Maybe it did heal itself or maybe there's another explanation. We have a different expectation of what's going to happen in our workplaces. Everyone else is living with the realization that there are all kinds of forces and pressures at work. You know, like there's management expectation and there's um, the, the kind of influence of Brexit and, and fuel prices and the war in Ukraine and COVID have all had an impact on our work lives and, and all kinds of other ambition and, and colleagues, you know, competing against one another. But we also are aware that something else is happening. We're aware that God is at work at our work and so therefore we steward a different expectation. The last thing, and I'll finish with this, is we answer to a different authority. So this poor chap who'd been instantly and dramatically healed by Jesus immediately comes in for a load of criticism. It's one of the most bizarre moments in the Bible in one sense. Along come these religious leaders in verse 10 and instead of celebrating with him like how amazing 38 years you weren't able to walk and now look at you you could go in for the Olympics in the the power walking category or something like that. Instead of just celebrating with him instead they say you're not supposed to carry your mat on a Sabbath Sabbath, you're breaking the law. Now, in actual fact, he isn't breaking the law because his occupation, his job is not furniture removals as far as we know. And so he's doing nothing wrong in carrying his mat, but somehow they've managed to make it into a law and that he's breaking in some kind of a way. But his answer is just brilliant. He just says in verse 11, he just says, well, the guy who healed me, he told me to carry my bed and walk. It's like, what else am I going to do? Like, am I going to disobey the guy who's done something incredible in my life? The truth is, you don't have to be a Christian for very long, in the workplace for very long, before you have to answer the question, whose voice gets to have the final authority in my life? I remember as a young adult working in in a particular environment and... and, um, I was really shocked because I was really kind of green uh, or wet behind the ears or whatever the phrase is. Uh, I was really shocked to discover that my boss was having an affair with a lady who worked for one of our clients. And uh, I was even more shocked to discover literally the whole office, the whole people, you know, everyone who worked for this company knew that he was having an affair and they were cool with it. I was like, I I was just shocked. 
And one day, on a Monday morning, he poked his head over my sort of cubicle, not, you know, like office cubicle, and, and he, he said, hi, um, uh, I'm just going away for a few days with this lady's name. If my wife phones, would you mind just telling her that I've had to go on a work trip to Norway? And I remember this, the internal turmoil of it all, like, and eventually I just had to say to him, hey, listen, I'm so sorry, but, but um, I, I can't participate in what this is. I, I, I just can't do that. Uh, and I had to choose between, you know, the authority of my boss and pleasing my God. And on that one occasion, I'm sure there are plenty of others where I didn't, but on that one occasion, I think I probably chose the right thing. Um, in this passage, Jesus goes on to explain that this guy who picked up his mat and walked, he'd done really well because he, hadn't only, um, he wasn't only going to encounter Jesus as a healer. One day, Jesus says, everyone's going to encounter me as a judge. And at that point, whether or not we've walked in integrity and honesty, gentleness, kindness, humility, will really matter. Verse 26, Jesus says, For as the Father has life in his, himself, so he, he's granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he's given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. So maybe today or tomorrow or later on this week, each one of us might have to give an account to our boss or our line manager or, or our supervisor. But one day, each one of us will stand before Jesus. And how we've behaved now will change what we hear then. One of my favorite stories, and I'll just finish with this, and if you've been part of our church for a while, you've heard this story many times, I'm sure. But it's a, of this guy, he's like a busker. He's, he's got this little Casio keyboard. It's plugged into a little amplifier and a car battery. He's on Union Street, say, and he's just playing away. But he's really, really gifted. And as he plays, the crowd began to gather around and, and people are really, really, uh, you know, amazed at, at how beautifully he's playing. And then this guy comes up in a suit and, and it turns out that he's stepped out of the music hall. And so he says to the guy, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it possible for you to play your music at the music hall. And, and uh, the guy's like, what? He said, no, honestly, I think you're really great. And so, you know, it's booked for a few months time and uh, he does loads of radio interviews and, and he's in the P&J and all these kinds of things. Uh, there's a kind of big build up for this day when this young man is going to play not just a little Casio keyboard, but a proper Steinway or something like that. So the day comes around, the lights go down, the young man comes onto the stage uh, and he begins to play and it's stunning. And, and, you know, even in the darkness, you can just hear, just tear, uh, hear, see 
tears trickling down people's faces and, and it's just absolutely beautiful. And as he plays his last note, the entire music hall stand to their feet and they're just cheering and clapping and saying, encore, encore. And the guy stands up, he looks around at the audience and then he walks off the stage. Well, they're still cheering and clapping. And so eventually, you know, the staff of the music hall, they come round to find him in his dressing room and they say, hey, listen, like, what's going on here? You, like, they, they want some more. You have to give them more. And he says, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to do that. So I, I, I don't understand. Like, the whole crowd is absolutely uh, cheering. They, they're, they're so excited to hear you again. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it again. Actually, there is, it's not that the whole... Uh, audiences on their feet. There's actually one man, he's three rows uh, forward from the back on the left-hand side, and he still stayed seated. And uh, so I'm not going to go back on. And they said, that's the most ridiculous thing. I don't know what the capacity of the music hall is, but there's maybe, you know, a thousand people cheering and clapping. There's one guy who isn't, and, and you're not going to go on. That doesn't make any sense. Who is he? And he says, well... He's my father. It really matters to me what my father thinks. Doesn't matter whether everyone else is cheering. I want to please my father. Friends, that's the choice. That's the choice. In our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever we're next in our workplace. Jesus says this right at the very end of the passage. He says, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. A lot of people at work, they want to please themselves. Some people work to please their parents. Many, many more people work to please their bosses. But we're subjects of a different kingdom. We're servants of a different king. And so we work to please our Father in heaven. Why don't I pray for us? So, Father, I want to pray for everyone who is uh, in the sites or, uh, and online today. I want to pray, God, that you would meet them, not only today, but tomorrow at their work. And you would show them that you're there and active. And you would show them what you're doing. And you would invite them to participate in the activity of heaven in their workplace. And so I pray right now that you'd fill each one with your spirit. Would you give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and also the courage to step in and step up and get involved. Amen.